Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Andy Brassel, she's Jules Breach, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. What an outstanding performance by Watford from a club in their position. I've got to say that first, and what another underwhelming day for Tottenham Hotspur. I've got to say that second. Coming up, we'll be talking about Tottenham's current struggles and some very strange goings on (laughs) in North London. We'll also be looking at Jules' unique perspective on some upsetting events at Harringay Borough in the FA Cup this weekend. That's all coming up on Jules and Andy. Hey Jules, how was your weekend? It was another really busy football weekend, wasn't it? I feel like so much has happened this weekend, so there's Mm. loads for us to talk about. You were actually at the Tottenham game on Saturday, weren't you? I was. As we'll come on to in a minute, they weren't very good. Mm. I mean, the stadium's magnificent. It's my first visit there and I've, I've passed it loads of times. I've done work outside it, next to it, but it was my first time actually in it. Um, without getting all Kevin McLeod, I like the sense of light. Oh, okay. It's very nice. It, like when you're, when you're in the bit before you actually go into the stand and go into your seat, you get an incredible view over London. It's a bit like when you play pitch and putt at Ali Pali. You told me about this before and I never got the chance to do it when I went to see Ramble Live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's well worth it at some point anyway. But, but you actually had quite a fancy experience because you had some hospitality type tickets, didn't you? I might have done. You are such a football snob. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the food. Um, it was it was it was good. Uh, I had a um, pulled pork bap. No oh, prawns. Nice. No prawns. Keeping it real. Okay. 
Um, just because prawns weren't on the menu, <laughs> obviously. But um, yeah, I, I did sit in the, the, the park lane end, the big wall. Um, which what was, was that a, experience was, like? It was a really great experience. I think we got there early when it just opened. And when it's empty, you get an idea of the, the, the scale of it. It's absolutely extraordinary. It, it really is something special. And, you know, you get the impression that you can see well from wherever you are in the stadium. There's nothing that looks tucked away. And, you know, that's one of the things I've always liked about the new Wembley, actually. I know some people say the magic has gone out of Wembley because you don't have the uh, the Twin Towers anymore and all that sort of stuff. I remember old Wembley. It was uncomfortable. There weren't any backs on the seats. It was difficult to get to. Um, the stands were miles away from the pitch. And now Wembley is, whatever you think of the, the spend on the construction and all the rest of it, it is a big stadium where you can see well from anywhere, which I think is important. When I've worked pitch side at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and I've looked up at that wall, mm. I've always thought it looks really steep. And that from a fan's perspective, if you're sat there fairly near the top end, would it feel quite steep looking down? How far up were you? You know what? For me, the ultimate in steep is the away end, the older way end at Goodison Park in the 90s. That you could feel quite vertiginous if really? you if, if, if you leant forward, but I don't want to think about that because it makes me feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a good experience in terms of the whole day out at Tottenham. But in terms yeah. of Spurs' performance, well, it did lack a lot, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. And um, I know there's been a lot of discussion about what's been going wrong with Spurs recently. Um, a lot of it's confidence. I, I think you have to say that. And it was, it was interesting, of course, Watford's still yet to, to, to win this season. And it's a strange feeling going to see a game where you think both sides are there for the taking, probably from perform, from um, opposition that are in better nick at the moment. Um, but yeah, Spurs have, Spurs have got a problem. And um, what I thought was interesting is um, obviously Deli Ali came in for his first start of the season and 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 got a goal. But me and my friend who I, I went with, who's um, been a, I've known since we were kids and is, is a big Tottenham fan. We were discussing in the in the first half uh, where Spurs were really struggling to make anything happen, and it seemed like Toby Alderweireld was getting the ball every two minutes. When does it get to the point where you decide you're going to sell Deli Ali? I know like Phil Neville on Match of the Day did a a, a piece this weekend about how he thought Deli Ali was coming back to his best and how well I, I, he thought he, he played. Um, from speaking of people who watch Tottenham a lot, that's the best he's played in a long time. I, I still didn't think he played that well, to be honest. And I, I feel part of that is he's a bit set to fail in the current system. He's left there drifting behind Harry Kane. And when you think, when Dele Alli first came in to the Tottenham team, what so impressed me about him is the fact that he was playing um, in in front, in the, in the two in front of the defence. And I think for a teenager to come to the Premier League from the third tier and to look good in that position straight away, that really convinced me about him as an all-round footballer. I felt convinced straight away. And the way that you don't often feel, you can say young players have promise and not get carried away, but straight away, he looked like the real deal. I don't really feel he's come that, that far forward since then. And maybe if he had a role where 
I felt like he had more designated responsibility in the team, that would make a difference. I know it's difficult to talk about carving out that role for him when it's only really the start of, of his season now. But I do think, you know, you look at the other players in, in the Tottenham squad and, you know, you think they might be on the, the brink of some sort of big squad turnover. I mean, he's one of the most saleable ones. He hasn't got a contract that's running out. He's rated everywhere, all over the world. I wonder if you want to actually generate funds to rebuild that squad. And we all understand they haven't got like 400, 500 million to spend. Do you sell him? Mm. Well, it's been spoken about for what feels like a few seasons now, potentially moving Deli Ali on. And I, I agree with you on Saturday. He looked lacking in confidence, lacking in a bit of match fitness and sharpness. I mean, that's to be expected, of yeah, course. Of yeah, of course. He'd only played half an hour's worth of Premier League football until the game against Watford. So you, you would expect that to be the case. And I do think he improved as the match went on, particularly once Maurizio Pochettino introduced Son into the team. And when Lamella was going around kicking people on his mm-hmm. behalf. Yeah, I, yeah. Th- I think that, that that definitely helped helped Deli Ali as the match progressed. But... Yeah, I, I don't think it was a great performance overall from him or for the whole Tottenham team. And actually, I was I was really disappointed in Spurs on Saturday because leading into the match, it felt like they were the team that desperately needed the international break. They could go away having uh, lost that match against Brighton last time out. And obviously, there was the 7-2 defeat before that to Bayern Munich in the Champions League. And it felt like they really needed that international break to just mm. regroup, have a bit of time away from the spotlight go off on international duty if that's what they were doing and then come back for this game against the team bottom of the table, put in a convincing performance, get three points on the board and kind of get back to what we're so used to seeing with Tottenham. And even Maurizio Pochettino in his um, press conference during the week before the game, he was what I thought was surprisingly upbeat. He came in all smiles. He was joking around with the press and he, you know, he said, you know, I'm not... I'm not worried about my position here. The players have invited me out for dinner. Everything seemed quite rosy and quite positive. So I was expecting to see that positivity translate onto the pitch on Saturday. Seven changes that he made to the team as well. Mm. I was expecting to see a lot more from Tottenham and it just felt like we were exactly where we were two weeks ago. I mean, it's a big part of it. Like, There's no Christian Eriksen. I mean, you know, like you say, they're back to where they were not just a couple of weeks ago, but you could say at the start of the season in that very first game against Villa until Ericsson came on and Villa started to tire a bit. They were banging their heads against a brick wall. And I don't think, say, the first 60 minutes of that performance against Villa on the first day of the season, a game that they actually ended up winning, it's really that much different to the content of, of, of this Watford game. And that, to me, hints at a a greater problem. Uh, The fact that this is a team that needs freshness, that needs to be evolved. Now, part of that will come through Ndombele settling more and carving out his place in the team. Part of that will come from when Lo Celso's fit and he's ready to play. Because obviously, when you go out and spend that amount of money for a player or potentially that amount of money for a player and they're not ready to play, that's a a, a real blow. And I, I do kind of feel as if it's the last few years really coming home to roost because like there's nothing that wrong with the last transfer window of course they would have liked to get Paolo Dybala but it's not about the last transfer window is it it's about the ones before that and that that summer transfer window on its own is fine 
but it's just not enough after what's gone before. It almost feels like there's been a delayed reaction to that those two windows when Pochettino wasn't able to buy any players yeah. and he didn't bring anyone in and they survived that and did very well despite bringing any anyone new into the squad. And everyone was kind of praising him and saying, wow, look what Maurizio Pochettino has done with the team that he's got and the players that he's got there. And then it now feels like we're, we're now seeing the effects of it. We're now seeing that there's obviously some problems and that perhaps certain players should have moved on and, mm. and should have ta- taken moves when, when they were offered. Um, and maybe the club should have sold certain players. But it, yeah, I agree with you. It does almost feel like there's this delayed effect and it's now hit them. I think why we feel it so much, it's, it's kind of the reverse of what's happening with Chelsea because Chelsea have had this whole image revamp this season because we don't think of them bringing young players into the first team. And it's just a lovely surprise for everyone, really, isn't it? The fact that Chelsea are just the opposite of what they've been in in many previous seasons. And and people are reacting really well to that, the youth and the spontaneity of it, of it all. But with Tottenham, we're used to them being zesty and punchy and exciting. And they just feel so flat at the moment. That is a that is a problem. I do think that cutting edge in midfield is going to make a difference. And I do think if Lacelso can settle quickly, that can change the course of their season. I, I, I really do because I've, I've seen a lot of him at Betis, and I really like him as a player. Funnily enough, like Dele Alli, when he was at Paris Saint Germain, he was kind of forced into a central sort of more defensive midfield role, uh, which is something that, well, he arrived as a number 10 in in Europe. I don't don't think it's something he was massively suited to, but he made a good job of it and you could see his technical quality. And I think that's kind of toughened him up and will make him more amenable to settling quickly. And Tottenham have have definitely got to hope that can be the case because, uh, yeah, they've got a few issues at the moment. Yeah, we're we're used to seeing Maurizio Pochettino's sides play with quite a lot of courage and positivity going forward courage is a good word and and yeah. that that kind of was missing on Saturday and I think it has been missing for for a few weeks now um it's three games without a win in all competitions since they beat Southampton in the Premier League a couple of weeks a few weeks ago now and that was like pulling teeth as well yeah, wasn't it and that wasn't a great performance yeah. but now when we look ahead it is a huge week for Tottenham they drop points at home to Watford a team that they should be beating and who they actually could have lost to in the end and we'll get on to the Deli Alley handball VAR moment in a moment mm. but they face Red Star in the Champions League tonight and then they travel to Anfield in the Premier League at the weekend those are two massive games they need to win in the Champions League tonight and they're facing off I mean Liverpool off the back of dropping points at Old Trafford perhaps not the best time to play them either. Are you and basically saying they could do without getting hammered at Anfield? They could do without both of these games because these are this is this <laughs> is it's a big week for the Tottenham players to kind of up their game now. They need a win in the Champions League and they need to not get badly put away by by Liverpool. All, all I would say is are we looking at it the wrong way round almost? Because you said there that that they haven't won in the last three games. Um and that's right, of course, but if we go further and further back, I think the last time I saw Tottenham play in the flesh was against Watford last season. And um, it was a cold night near the end of January. Wembley had about 30,000 people in it. I think by that point, a lot of Tottenham fans were like, 
I'm done with Wembley. Just just bring <laughs> the new stadium on already, and I can I can understand that. Um, but they they were not great in that. They went a goal down in the first half, and they just dug in and found a way to chisel out a win without playing particularly well. Just like they chiselled out a, a, a draw at the at the weekend, and it makes you think. Actually, where is the Champions League final in? 2018 was a springboard for Liverpool and they managed to go on and eliminate the weaknesses they they had in the team. It's not really the same for Spurs, is it? And it's not just that they haven't had the the mega transfer window that would have, you know, obliterated all the the, the holes in the squad. It's it's the fact that you know, looking back on it and of course getting to the Champions League final is a great thing, but has it covered up a, a load of issues? On the other hand, well, Watford stuck at it really, really well. I think um, that they did they did a pretty good job of that. And I think an interesting thing for me is watching it at the time at the stadium. I had the feeling that Toby Alderweireld was getting the ball all the time because Watford were happy to let him have it. And I think that shows the way that Watford, without having the ball, were able to dictate the game because you know he's the defender who's he's, he's not dreadful on the ball but he's the least good Tottenham defender on on, on the ball you would say and um I, I look back and he had 131 touches wow like way more than any, anyone else in the game I think the, the other nearest one like the Tongan was about 113 114 something something like that so the, the way they managed to without knocking themselves out by pressing super high. In fact, they never pressed Alderweireld at all. They, they let him have the ball because they thought, well, if he tries the long ball over the top, then we've got that covered because we're pretty deep. And otherwise, what's he going to do? Pass it sideways. Mm. And they're miles away from goal anyway. So I, th- I think you have to really compliment Flores and, and Watford for that. And they were unfortunate, in my opinion, because I think they should have had a penalty. And this brings us on to VAR because it was one of those moments where... <sighs> When you watch it back, and I had the benefit of being in the studio, so I could see from all sorts of different camera angles that we were being shown at BT Sport. We're talking about Vatonga non Delafo. Correct. Yeah. That that was for me a stonewall penalty, and I don't understand how the angles we I was told by Peter Walton, who was the referee we had in the studio, that the angle we were seeing wasn't the one that the VAR was seeing. I don't know how he knew that, but he obviously must have known for some reason, that he was seeing a different angle to what the VAR was seeing. I think that is wrong. I think that the VAR at Stockley Park should be given every single angle that every TV camera is showing. Um, And I think if you see that angle that we saw... it's a It is a foul. It's a foul in the box and it should have been a penalty. And if that is given and... Watford go 2-0 up, that completely changes the game. Yeah, absolutely. And it possibly changes the future of both those clubs, certainly in the medium term. And that's what VAR is meant to be there for, to prevent teams getting relegated because of bad decisions, to, you know, make sure that we're getting the correct decisions made. And this was another occasion where I think that that was a mistake. Peter Walton said himself that he thinks that this will be one when it's reviewed, that the Premier League will hold their hands up and say we made a mistake with that one. What, what good is that, though? It's not any good exactly anymore. I mean, what I don't understand is what the process at, at actually is there. I mean, presumably, the 
VAR officials go, right, you want to have another look at this? And what's he saying? No, you're all right. Mm. I, I mean, for me, I, I don't think people have talked a lot about the screens and them not being used. I understand why people say that. To me, I think that's a little bit problematic because... If the use of the screens. Yeah, because I think if you're making the decision in like a cold environment, a TV studio that's miles away from the the stadium without the fans around you yeah there's no there's no pressure there's no benches getting in your ear or or, or any of that and I, i'm not convinced that particularly helps the the referee if it's that that blatant i think to me I, the, the quickest way of doing it i think you need to look at what one replay maybe two and then the the var says that's a penalty and I don't see the problem with that. I know people talk about the referee on the pitch making the decisions. People don't go to the stadium to watch the referee. And I don't really care about the referee's feelings. It has to be the correct decision. That is the reason it is there. So if it's a collaborative effort between the refereeing team, which it is anyway, when it's on the pitch between uh, a referee, his two assistants, if an assistant spotted something that a referee had missed, why is that a problem? That doesn't threaten a referee's ego. So why would this threaten a referee's ego? And why should it be about a referee's ego in the in the first place? The biggest problem with VAR, I think, is the process. I think from what I understand, um, if there is a decision that they need to look at or a goal has scored and they need to go back and take a look at where the attacking phase of play begins from, yes. what the process, I believe, is, is that the VAR will say tell us what you saw. So in this instance, he will have said, um, I think I saw a challenge in the box, but I believe he got the ball and whatever else he might have said in that in that occasion. And if that is partly in line with what the VAR can see, then they go, okay, you've seen it, so we're not going to interfere. If the referee on the field says, uh, this is what I saw. I don't think he's anywhere near him. He didn't. T- he, he's nowhere near him. I don't think he's caught him at all. Then the VAR can say, okay, I think you need to, I think you need to actually, over- we need to overrule this decision. So what, that's, that- that's the difference between clear and obvious error and just difference of opinion. As for, yeah, as far as I understand the process yeah. is that okay. if the referee on the field's description of the incident matches what the VAR can see, then they don't overrule it. And that is a problem for me. because yeah, you, that's a you, huge problem. Because you can see something, but not quite see the contact from the defender on the attacker. Well, I thought the whole point of it was the fact that... To clear fo- up mistakes. Yeah, and the fact that there's a recognition now that football is so athletic, so 100 miles an hour, that you can't possibly expect a referee to see everything arguably you should never have expected a referee and two assistants to see everything. One of the most irritating things for me about all of Saturday's VAR decisions, because there were several, this was not the only one. There were quite a few that caused a bit of a problem. There are a few that they got right as well. There are Mm. a few offsides that they got correct. Um, Raul Jimenez for Wolves, I think that was the correct decision. He he was offside for one of the goals that he put in the back of the next. He had two disallowed on Saturday. He did. Um, But I think that there was quite a few that were wrong. What irritated me was that the the Watford one, the penalty, that was a bigger mistake than 
I don't know if you've seen it, Andy, but in the Aston Villa Brighton game, I think Wesley impeded. Don't smile at me like that. It's actually <laughs> it's actually one out of our favour. Um, okay. Wesley impeded Matt Ryan. Um, they scored, and the goal was disallowed because of uh, contact on the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't have a problem with that contact on on Matt Ryan. I like, yeah, you can see it one way or another. I think it was subjective. I wouldn't have had a problem if that goal stood because I don't think it was that bad a contact on Mm. Matt Ryan is what I'm trying to say. Whereas then you look at and you compare the Watford one and for me that's blatant and the Matt Ryan one wasn't so blatant. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like... There's no consistency and this is what VAR's meant to be there for, to get consistent decisions correct. I mean, you're you're never going to get rid of every mistake. Mm. I think that's clear. On this occasion, I mean, it was like Vertonghen clipped him twice just in case you didn't see it the first time <laughs> exactly. and um, yeah it's, it's, it's very very hard to, 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 to get your head around I think the most important now is to build uh, the confidence the trust uh, that we lose after the, the terrible result again Bayern Munich always is it's difficult to recover from there but I think step by step we are going to recover our, our trust and our confidence and play more relaxed 
and they're not used to this. Um, they've heard about it, they've read about it, they've seen it, um, but for them to actually be involved in it, it's just, um, it was terrible to see those players and the look on their face. And I felt I had to do something to protect my players. It's Jules and Andy here on Football Ramble Daily. It's a Tuesday. We love hearing from you. Thanks to everyone who's got in touch. Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Loads of you have been in touch this week. Yeah, and uh, thanks to everyone who both interacted during last uh, week's episode uh, via the medium of Twitter and um, wrote after the show. Uh, we really do appreciate it. There's a really interesting one I wanted to read you here, Jules, from uh, Andrew Anderson. Hi, Andrew. Um, who says, hi, Ramble Gang. Long time listener, first time emailer. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd write in about the racism during the England-Bulgaria game. I'm English, but my wife is Bulgarian and I moved to Sofia in January. My experience here is limited, but I thought I'd share it with you. Firstly, most Bulgarians I meet on a day-to-day basis are not racist. Many of my Bulgarian friends will be deeply embarrassed and disgusted by what happened, just as we English people are by the behaviour of some of our football fans. However, there are a lot of people here who don't know any better and don't see racist behaviour as a problem. It's very much a monoculture. There are very few non-white people and so ignorant words and actions are not challenged. Attitudes and ideas that in England seem very outdated and unacceptable are normal here. For example on the Bulgarian celebrity version of Stars in Their Eyes, the celebrity fa- uh, celebrities regularly wear blackface for performances. I teach occasional English classes here and some of my students who are well-educated, kind, friendly and open people come out with some views on race that are very hard to comprehend. It is also true uh, that football here is a refuge for extreme racists as it used to be in England. If you walk around the city, you see many swastikas almost always accompanied by the CSK Sophia logo. Um, When I first moved here, I wanted to go to games but was advised against it because of this fact is one of the few parts of Bulgarian society where you're made not to, you're you're not made to feel welcome excuse me um all this is just to say that it's hard to imagine racism within football changing much here without the wider culture changing as well when it comes to attitudes on race Bulgaria at least in my limited experience feels like it is stuck where England was 30 years or more ago and of course England today is by no means perfect Andrew says so the problem is a big one and I can't see it going away anytime soon, no matter what happens within football. You can close stadiums, ban the team, but the wider societal racism here is deeply rooted. Thanks, Andrew. Wow, it is a wider societal issue, Andrew. Thank you so much for taking the time to write such a detailed email to us. Um, And he makes really good points there, several good points throughout the email. Particularly what struck me about Andrew's email is when he mentions that he's he's a teacher and some of the students he teaches who are very well educated yeah. also have these views. So this has to be about education to society and to all areas of society. Or maybe they have those views or maybe because it's not a daily issue in their society. It's something they just haven't thought about yeah. that much. Mm. Either way, it's all part of education, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And um, unfortunately, we had another incident of racism in football at the weekend. Um, And it's really important that we talk about this. Um, One of the reasons I I wanted to discuss this, and I've got um, the Daily Telegraph from yesterday open in front of me here because they did a piece on the Haringey Borough players and the manager who decided to walk off the pitch in their FA Cup fourth round qualifier on Saturday against Yeovil Town due to racism from 
a small section of the Yeovil fans. And uh, the reason we want to talk about this as well, Jules, mm. is because you had quite an interesting angle on it when you were doing your job on Saturday. Yeah, it's um, it was really tough, actually. It was one of the... I mean, I'm very fortunate that I absolutely love my job and I love what I do and I... I'm a big football fan, so to go to work and talk about football is the absolute dream. But you don't expect to sit there and have to report racism at a non-league football ground in an FA Cup match and have to see it unfold in front of your very eyes. Mm. And to have to deliver that news, not only to everyone who was watching at home, but to the pundits who are sat on the sofa with me and to have to change that tone from, you know, we're so upbeat on a Saturday. We love football. We're watching all the scores come in. We're excited. We're seeing all these incidents unfold. We've just been laughing about VAR being a shambles and all that kind of stuff. And then you hear this story and you're starting to see this unfold. And I knew the minute that we crossed over to Becky Ives, who was our reporter, who's also a very good friend of mine, at the ground... She said that there was, you know, at the time, the first, the very first report, she didn't know what had happened. Of course, she's, she's stood on the sidelines wondering what's going on. She could see that the fans behind the goal. Uh, if you haven't seen what happened, Yeovil were awarded a penalty. Yes. And um, the Yeovil fans were behind the Haringey Borough goal in the second half when the penalty was awarded. And this is when the main bulk of the racist abuse took place and it was aimed at the Haringey Borough goalkeeper who's um, from Cameroon and she said that she could see that there was kind of um, he was arguing with fans in the crowd and she could see that they were spitting on him and that there were bottles being there was at least one or two bottles that had been thrown at the goalkeeper Mm. and eventually the referee managed to calm the situation down Yeovil took the penalty they scored it so they went 1-0 up but the abuse didn't stop and they kept taunting the goalkeeper and some of the other players and eventually the manager the Haringey manager could see that his players were seriously distressed and he decided to take them off the pitch and they as a group decided they were going to leave the field and Yeovil Town also did the same in solidarity and said no we're not going to stand for this either we're all going to walk off the pitch but as you can imagine this kind of unfolded over the space of about 10 minutes so the first time that we crossed over to Becky and she explained um, they're about to take the penalty but there's lots going on behind the goal and I'll let you know exactly what happens the next time we spoke to Becky she said right they've scored the penalty Now the players seem to be walking off, but not to the centre circle to start play again. They seem to be walking off the pitch. And she said, come back to me because I'm going to try and find out what's happened here. And then the next time we went to her, she explained what I've just told you, Mm. which is that the goalkeeper had been racially abused. She spoke to him personally and he told her that they spat at him. Um, He told her the sort of things he was hearing from the crowd. And she said he was visibly shaking and upset and they collectively as a team decided that they weren't going to stand for it and as this all happened we were just to be honest I was in shock and it's it's horrible to hear that as we've talked about in the past Andy these 
men are going to work. This is a huge day in mm. their working life. Yeah. They're playing for a place in the first round proper when they can play against a League One or a League Two club in the next round, potentially. It's a big financial boost for the club if they get through to the next round. Their fans are all out. It was a beautiful sunny day in North London. It was actually being played in really good spirits. And then to hear that this happened, it just kind of gave me chills and it was really sad. And uh, Becky, who, as I said, is a really good friend of mine, after everything happened at the game, um, we spoke on the phone and she just said to me, I don't think I can go home after that. She said, I feel really shaken up. So she ended up coming over to my house and we had a takeaway and just kind of talked about everything that happened. And we were both quite affected by it, actually. It was really sad. Yeah. And it is something that's that's shocking. Mm. Um, I suppose, to an extent, we should be grateful that it, it, it's, it's something that is still shocking. That it's something that's not so commonplace that yeah. that we can just brush it off. But especially after after the week that that, that we had and the stuff that we talked about on the on, on the show last week, it's it's. it's distressing to to hear it's a reminder that you know it's 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 not something that we've completely conquered in in England as well and in a way I think the way that those England players behaved impeccably in Bulgaria has probably given those players at Haringey Borough something to think about and the courage to to go through and do that and it's something that Darren Lewis in the mirror particularly has written very eloquently about and spoken about very eloquently on a number of occasions since uh, what happened last week happened. And, you know, he's been quite firm on the fact that you know this is what's going to change things, not fines, not stadium bans. I mean, I, I remember talking on a, a, a show um, on TalkSport with uh, Hugh Wisencroft about this last, last week. And, you know, we, we, we were talking about fines, previous fines for for racist behaviour, and it's it's always comp- compared to Nicholas Bentner in his pants, isn't it? Uh, and the and, and the betting yeah. thing. But t- to me, that, that that doesn't even mean anything. Mm. What amount of money makes it all right? There is not amount an amount of money that no. that makes it all right, and there's not an amount of money I think that that is going to fix this. No, and and Tom Loizu, the um, Haringey Borough manager, um he did an interview with Becky after the game and he's spoken to lots of media outlets since about where he stands on everything since abandoning the game. And he actually, in the article that I've got in front of me here from the Daily Telegraph, he actually says he's not bothered about getting the match replayed. What he did with his team on Saturday was more about standing up for his players and protecting them. Yeah, and he doesn't need to be bothered about it. It's it's for someone else to to deal with now. They, They did the right thing. And now it's over to the FA to see how they deal with it. And what can you be apart from apart from hopeful that th- th- this has reached some sort of fever pitch and, and they're going to deal with this in the right way rather than like awarding the game to Yeovil? And I, th- I think that would have happened in the past, definitely. I think that public consciousness and public pressure is such that they, they just can't do that now. Um, but I definitely think that that would have happened in the past and that would maybe happen in other environments. But, you know, this could be a, a huge turning point. Obviously, Tom wasn't in there. Chairman was out as well. They're all speaking to the referees, um, maybe small conversations with the Yeovil manager. Did you want to go out and play? 
no, the decision was made. And when we came, when we came off and we came into the changing room, um, spoke with a couple of my other teammates, and we just decided so we're not going back out. So big Champions League week this week, Jules. You out and about? I am. I'm going to. I feel like we've all we've talked about is going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Try the pulled pork. I'm going there. I'm going tonight. Um, I've got to wrap up warm. I've got a feeling it's going to be. It's starting to get to that point, Andy, hasn't it? Where it's getting Parker cold. Out. It's getting freezing in these night games. So, um, yeah, I'm going to wrap up warm. Hopefully, see Tottenham back to their best um, mm. they desperately need to win this um, it's got to that point of the Champions League where we're match day three um, and they face Red Star Belgrade tonight but then they also face them away from home in match day four in it's, a couple of weeks time so it's make or break yeah it's almost like a knockout this middle bit of the group stage isn't it it's the bit that makes or breaks uh, a, t- a team's campaign there's plenty of other stuff going on I'll, I'll be at IMG doing the um, UEFA.com Champions League radio show as, as I always do does so, that mean you cover all of the matches across the two days yeah that's right For, <laughs> fortunately I, I have eight eyes so uh, <laughs> hidden under my hat so that, that, that'll be pretty good I, I love this stage where, oh. where, where you're just across all of it and there's something happening uh, every minute uh, Ajax versus Chelsea which I think is going to be absolutely huge as well I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that and Ajax have Still got a good team this season. They're a bit ropey at the weekend, but they still managed to win the, the top of the Eredivisie. Um, so I'm looking forward I think to that'll be interesting. Man City face Atalanta because Atalanta are scoring for fun at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, they're 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 super open, and I, I, I saw their, their their game at the weekend against Lazio when they were three 0 up at the Olimpico and ended up drawing three 0 I think they had half an eye on this game because they made some changes in the second half that. I think inadvertently relieved the pressure on on Lazio, mm. but they have, they have like twenty one shots a game, it's on average, which is more than Juventus, more than Napoli, more than um, Inter, Roma, any of those. So I have quite a strong feeling that they will end up getting absolutely roasted tonight <laughs> because they'll 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 be so open. But you know they'll they'll go down fighting, won't they? By the way, that um, Serie A game against Lazio where it ended three all. Um, Immobile, hopefully I've pronounced that right. Yes. Um, he scored a penalty for Lazio in the dying moments of the match to rescue a point for Lazio. And he wins my award for cringe moment of the weekend because uh, did you see his celebration, Andy? It was I certainly hilarious. Did. So he, um, if you haven't seen it, um, try and find it. It's hilarious um, if you're listening and you want to go and have a look at this. He scores a penalty. He goes off to celebrate and he... in running off towards the crowd to celebrate, tries to take off his shirt to, to celebrate and it gets stuck. He trips over and then gets booked because of the celebration by the referee. So, imagine that. You don't, fully, you don't fully get your shirt off and you still get booked. So bad. It was it was my moment of the weekend, I think. It's a waste of a booking, <laughs> but good fun for the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, well, Champions League, it is for the next couple of days. Enjoy the football and we will see you same time, same place next week. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 